0: We are going through a series. We're finishing up the series soon in uh, First Peter. The series is called "Refined by Fire." Refined by fire. Okay, it's a letter that the apostle Peter, which is one of the disciples of Jesus, original disciples of Jesus, wrote to the churches during a very difficult time in the churches' uh, life. It was a time when the churches were scattered out throughout the Roman Empire. And as they were scattered, the government, the systems, the world around them did not appreciate nor love this group of believers that called themselves Christians. And so in response to not liking them, in response to the way they live and how different they live, the government began to persecute, hurt, and break down and created laws and created systems that would actually make their lives more miserable. And the temptation for a lot of the believers at this time was to compromise, was to give in, was to assimilate, was to not live out their Christian identity, the identity given to them by God, by Christ on the cross, but to just kind of keep it a secret and live out their life normally to the world around them. And Peter recognized this because truly it is a problem. Christians were being hunted down. They were being, husbands were being sold to slavery. or wives were being sold to slavery. Husbands were being killed. Kids were thrown into a coliseum to be eaten. But for sports, right? To be killed for sport. And so in the midst of all of this, Peter writes this letter to the churches telling them there is going to be a time of brokenness and difficulty. It is going to suck and it is going to be hard. But instead of assimilating, instead of giving in, be refined. Be refined towards holiness is what he's sharing with us. We've been talking about, last week, Pastor David came up and he shared about refined by fire through holiness. Is seeking holiness, right? And I think, I think the same situation can be said to a lot of us as believers now. We live in a culture, in a system, in a world where um, maybe not, quote-unquote, persecuted, but in a place where living out your faith dramatically or outwardly becomes a little bit of a no-no, becomes a little bit of like a pushback from a lot of people around you. And so you rather keep it quiet and you rather assimilate. So the letter of Peter is letter to us, telling us, now is not the season to be quiet. Now is not the season to stay where we are, to assimilate, to, to die off in the background. Now is the season to let God's refinement mold you and shape you into the believer He has called you to be. Right? You gotta be shaped into holiness. Because of what Christ has done, verses 1 all the way to verse 12, right? now be shaped into holiness, to be distinct, unique, sacred, set apart. Be refined into that. Now, the only way, listen, okay, the only way that you would want to seek holiness, want to be distinct like this, is when you recognize your depravity. You recognize how actually broken you are. When you recognize truly the evil that you are capable of. Today in our society, we have a lot of things that holds back our evil. We have our moral conscience, but when that is um, destroyed, we have our family unit. Our family unit holds back our depravity, holds back what we would do if we would not be... Um, judge or not be caught or not be punished for anything. Our family holds us back. But when the family system is broken, you know, the government system comes in and holds us back, right? Justice, laws, cops, those things are there. And when that is broken, if that is broken, the church is there to remind us and to speak to us and to bring us home, to hold back the evil that is really there, right? And when that is broken, all hell breaks loose, right? The only way you would want holiness is when you recognize Depravity. You recognize how broken you are. And I, I know some of you guys are thinking, I'm not that evil, man. I, I know, like, I can think of some crazy, but we're not that evil. Let me tell you the truth. You are evil, okay? And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you a funny story. Right? I swear i was gonna use it for. I, I, I promise I would use it for an illustration. I'm gonna use it. Yeah? A couple of weeks ago, I was, I was asked to play a game. Right? <laughs> They're um, like, you know, you, it's it's a really fun game. We gather together in this kind of like a room, and you know, it's just like we do like events, like you know, we we red light green light, it's not kind of like squid game, but it's called crab game. I'm like, okay, right, I mean, I, I, I'm not into video games, so I'm like, okay, you know, so they asked the first time, and, and I just couldn't get it done, or I couldn't uh, rule myself to download all the stuff, and then secondly, second time they, they played the game, my son came up to me, and my son said, Dad, can we play? And I said, okay, well, you have to ask so-and-so to, uh, how to do this, and he said, he did, of course, and he said, I asked him, do you know how to play? He said, of course I know how to play, said, okay, so, so, you guys, someone, and so, to message me, right? And I have the home message, and I have, to, I have to figure out how to, like, I have to download Steam, right? Which is a Steam player. And after that, I have to download the game. And after I to download the game. I have to, I mean, I have to register first. So, a lot of different things. It took me about an hour because I'm just slow, right? So, finally, I'm in the room. So, I'm thinking, like, I don't know what the game is. I don't know how to play. But, I'm just going to be in there. And I'm in this room, you know, and you all look the same. We're all like a bunch of people. And then we're in the bunker room while everyone's sleeping, right? And I, and, and, I, and I hear all the voices, and I was like, oh, cool, everyone's here, you know, and I can hear, like, so-and-so's voice, so-and-so's voice, so-and-so's voice. I'm like, oh, we're all, we're all in the same room together. And they're like, oh, PT's here, PT's here. I'm like, hey, church, come, right? And I see them all running towards me. I'm like, oh, we group hug or something? And all of a sudden, after, as they ran towards me, I saw monkey bars come out. I saw monkey wrenches. I saw, like, "I'm like, what are you guys doing? And boom, 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 all I heard, and then I, I was like, what happened? I can't move anymore. He's like, oh, you're dead. I'm dead. I just barely got in. Like, yeah, we were actually playing already. Like, yeah, right. And I'm like, bro, that's some messed up stuff right there, right? Like, you killed your, you, the first person you decided to kill was your pastor in five minutes, right? Less than five seconds actually, you know. So I'm thinking to myself, man, if we live in a world where you cannot be punished for a crime, when you cannot be punished for something you do, how depraved will we go? I know know we're just joking, we're playing video games, and it's part of the game, you know, we do that. But think about that. In a video game, you, you do not get punished, and you do not get called out for it, you do not get hurt for it, right? And so you're willing to do a lot of crazy things. But do you recognize, let's be honest, can you recognize that if there were not these levels to hold you back in our world, the level of depravity you would go into would be pretty limitless how evil you can actually be. If you know that you can get away with a crime, if you know that you will never be punished for the crime, if you know that no matter how bad it was, you will be set free, how far would you go? Right? How far would you go? And I, and I remember a, a, a great example of this was the movie The Purge, like all of the series of The Purge. I, I watched one of it, I couldn't watch the rest. Because right? the concept of it was just insane and I was thinking to myself I was watching like whoever came up with this like truly understands depravity because the idea of the purge if you guys ever watched it was one day a year no laws no repercussions no judgment no arrest. do whatever you want know? Right? and you see some people kind of like kind of hide out they don't want to do anything but then you see some really crazy things happening what they would do how they would do it how far they would go It's insane. And the heart of that is what? If you recognize your depravity, you recognize how deeply broken you really are and how far you would actually go, if you know you can get away with things, that's only then when you would want to pursue holiness. Right? When you really want to see and be cleansed from that. When you recognize that, then you can actually want something that can come and bring healing to that. And that's being refined by holiness. So today I want to share with you what this text tells us about a holy person. What does a holy person look like? To be refined by fire is that in the midst of this world speaking a language and speaking a message to us, how do we live as a holy person? Right? And then lastly, how can we want the holiness? How can we want that holiness so that we can actually get that holiness? Okay? So open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. First Peter 1, verse 17 and 21. Let me read this to you guys. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in the reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. He was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so that your faith and hope are in God. What does a holy person look like? If you're going to live in a world to be refined by God, one of the refinements that God is calling you into is holiness. To be set apart, to be unique, to be sacred, to be distinct. Well, what does a holy person look like? Last week, Pastor David talked to us about a holy person... But his heart and his mind is changed. Holy changed for God. Right? It talks about how you have to reorient your mind and your heart. Today I want to talk about reorienting your will. A holy, per- a holy person's will is now changed. His or her lifestyle, their behavior is reoriented differently. Your will is Change. It's being remolded. What does the holy person look like? You have to look at your will. Is your will being refined by God? Are you allowing your will, your behavior, your lifestyle to be refined by God? To move away from depravity towards holiness. To move away from brokenness towards healing. To move away from... Um, Destruction towards reconciliation, it requires a reorienting of your will. of not just your heart, your mind, but today I want to talk about your will, specifically your will. What does it mean to reorient your will? Look at verse 17, he says this, Since you are called on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your life as strangers, here in reverent fear. The word stranger is the word foreigner. It's a person who lives in a country, though they are a citizen of another country. They're a foreigner. They're a stranger. Right? Now, there are three ways that you can live in a country that's not yours. There's three different ways you can live in there. You can live in this country as an immigrant. An immigrant does what? An immigrant assimilates to the country's rules. Assimilates to this new country's laws. Assimilates to the new country's worldview. Assimilates to their customs. Assimilates to their culture. An immigrant, right, is part of the country. You can live that way. As a foreigner or as a stranger, you can live it as a tourist, right? You can be a foreigner or a stranger as a tourist. You show up to the country, uh, you look at it, but there's really no contact. You just don't, you kind of, oh, that's kind of cute, that's kind of pretty, but there's no contact, no connection, no investment, no life there. you just, you're a tourist. You're there to take a couple pictures, and then you're, you're out. You're exclusive. You're just to yourself, right? Or... You can look at this country as an exile. We live in this country with the value of our true country. I'm in this country, but the way I live in this country, I live it with the value, the rules, and the heart of my true country. We are not immigrants. Right? We don't assimilate. We don't apply for citizenship here, but we are also not tourists. We are not just mere spectators. You see? When the Bible talks about the word stranger, and when the Bible talks about reorienting your will towards holiness, right, what it's saying is that, that you have to see your life as a foreigner, as a stranger in this land. Sometimes what happens here is that Christians, believers, we, we're, we're believers, but we actually we live in this world as immigrants. Though in our lips we proclaim Christ, our lives our will, our behavior, our lifestyle is assimilated to this country, to this place, to this world. All right? We compromise. We allow for, this to infiltrate, we allow for the, the, the culture, the world to infiltrate our thoughts, our behaviors, our will. But here's the worst part. You hear the worst part? Sometimes as Christians, we do the opposite. We become tourists. We don't want anything to do with the world we exclude ourselves into our four walls, we create this religiosity where we're spectators to the world, looking at them, but we don't engage, contact, deal with them. We're just faith in our own little space. And the Bible says, that's not how you're supposed to live. That's not the life of a son and daughter of the living God. See, God, when Peter is saying, God has called you to be a stranger or foreigner, in the way that, yes, you are here, but you do not assimilate to this place, but you're not a spectator here also. You live here with the value of your true home. You live here with the condition in the heart of your true home, or your true country. You are in this place. You're with the people. You're investing. You're building lives. You're building homes. You're working. You have neighbors, but you live with the value of your true country. You guys follow me? Right? And when you live that, how do you live the value of the true country? How do you reorient your will like this? Okay? How do you move towards this holiness? What does that look like? It means this. A holy person's attitude is neither retreat nor assimilation. A holy person's attitude is neither retreat or assimilation. So if you look at a person in church and you say, oh man, that person's so holy. Right? And all they do is just worship God and sing and do Bible stuff, but they have no contact with the world around them. They don't even know the neighbor's name. They have no idea how to interact or engage with their colleagues. Their colleagues don't even want to talk to them. That person is not holy. We call them holy because we think they're you know, all spiritual, but that's not holiness. Holiness is the willingness to not retreat, but at the same time not assimilate. No retreat, nor assimilation. You're in this world. You're engaged in this world. You're loving this world, but you're living with the basis and principles, customs, laws of your true country. That's holiness. And what does that look like? How does that look like for us? Marry, have children, but don't kill unwanted babies persecuted by all yes love everyone share your table with everybody but don't share your bed with everybody make though you are poor make others rich though you are short of everything yet you have plenty of all things what does it mean to be refined by fire to your will is now moving towards holiness is that you are willing is that you are willing to say yes i am here but i will not assimilate i will live with the principle and the value of my true country and i will do as he has called me to do while i'm here you don't fit in you stand out like a sore thumb and yet that is what makes you holy you're fine by his way. You say what I mean. Marry and have children, but don't kill unwanted babies. You know in the Roman world, the world where Peter grew up, the world where Peter is evolved it, in, the Roman world, if you were a newborn baby, it was considered the woman's property and therefore can be thrown out in the river if there's unwanted. In the Roman world, women were the property of men. Poor were the property of the ruling class. You know what Christians did when we stepped into that world? Why we were so hated? Why Peter had to write this letter to remind them, embrace the suck, you're going to be hated, but live in holiness. Let the word of God refine you, continue, because the Christianity throughout the century, what they did was they enlarged the circle of personhood. They enlarged the circle of life. Christianity has always respected life, has always protected life. Women, slaves, infants, poor, Once were properties or objects. Now, persons. It was the value of God working through the sons and daughters of God, injecting that into the culture and society that you have now. the very idea that you don't like slavery, that came from Christianity. The very idea where women are no longer objects, that came from Christianity. You know why? Because... We value life. We saw life, whether you are a slave, whether you are a woman, whether you are a child, we saw all life as an image of God. And so throughout, throughout the centuries, as we had wisdom and we had strength, we enlarged the circle of personhood. Because in our country, our true country, all life is valuable because all life is made in the image of our king. We're here, but we don't assimilate to the values here. You follow me? In this, let me give you another example. Persecuted by all, yet they love everyone. In our true country, we really forgive. Let me say that again. We really forgive. If, see, today, your idea of forgiveness is this. Forgiveness means I'm not thinking of them anymore. Forgiveness is I'm keeping them in the back of my mind. Forgiveness is I don't care about them. That's not forgiveness. Right? That's just you pretending that they don't exist anymore. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a true wanting of healing, a true desire for reconciliation, a true heart moment of bringing people to the table and asking and seeking for forgiveness. In our true country, we really forgive. We know that. Why? Because in our true country, there is no such thing as a lost cause. So no matter how wrong they have wronged us, how much they have wronged us, we seek to forgive. We fight to forgive and to move forward because our country, our God tells us there's no such thing as a lost cause until they have taken their final breath. There is no lost causes. And so we fight for forgiveness. We seek for forgiveness. And we find forgiveness. We don't just push it aside. We don't just put it in the back of our mind. We don't just say, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forgive them. I just don't really care. Talk, deal, or you want anything to do with them. That's not forgiveness. They're just letting it go. In our true country, what does it mean to live a life that's holy? What does a holy person look like? They share their table with everybody, but they don't share their bed with everybody. See, in our true country, we understand what sex is built for. We understand the heart of what sex is built for. Sex, it is pleasurable. It is made for that, but it was made for the picture of what? For a committed covenant. It is the restoration of a promise that in sex, in, through the thrill of it, through the intimacy of it, through the pleasure of it, that every time you engage in that, you remember the promise that was made at the altar. When you made the promise to each other, to God, and to the family, and to the church. You remember, oh, this is why. This is my love for her. This is my love for him. Sex was built, it was created, it was designed. To have such a way to, to, uh, uh, to renew the covenant and promise. So we share everything on our table. But we don't share our beds. Because our culture and our world, this culture, this world, it tells us what sex is for. So it's for pleasure. It's just for release. It's for wanting to be stressed. Sex becomes this kind of an objective thing or this subjective thing where you just kind of engage in it rather than something that's meaningful and intentional. That's not to renew a promise and the covenant. We understand that, and when we understand that, we we value what sex looks like. We value how it's engaged. We value when and how to apply it. What does it mean to live a holy life? We are short on everything, yet we have plenty of all things. You know what that means? Simple living. We live our lives simply. The value of our true country, we know that our value, our treasure, our worth, our wealth, is God. He is our wealth. He is our treasure. Whole God's people understand that. He is our wealth. He is our treasure. He is ours. He is our value. So if God is our wealth, all of a sudden we have a funny attitude when it comes to our possessions. We don't care for it much. We can, we can give it away. We don't, we don't mind if it's used up. No matter the amount, the price, or whatever, it's like we don't care much about them. We are short on everything because why? We're giving it away. You're radically giving. You're radically generous. You don't hold your materials as if it is your worth and your value, because our worth and our value is found God. You, you get what I'm saying, you guys? All right? Refined by fire. Refined by fire. It is, this, it is God coming in and shaping you and molding you. And when he shapes you and he molds you, what that means is you have to reorient your will towards him because he's shaping you and he's molding you towards holiness. Towards being distinct, unique, sacred, set apart. He's shaping you that. But the, only, the, 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 the image, the aftermath of the way a holy person looks is that your will is no longer on you but you ask, king, what is your will for me? And this is where it sucks and this is where it's hard and this is where it's difficult but it is the way of freedom it's the way of life it's the way of actually getting you out of this chasing this hole this, this constant circular pattern you live in Right? So how can we want to holiness? So, Because right now, I, I know what you're thinking. Like, okay, that's cool. But I don't, I don't really want it. Or, like, I, I don't know how to want it. Like, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. You know, if you're a believer, there's a different way of living. There's a different lifestyle we ought to choose. There's a different desire in that. Okay. But here's the thing. I, I, I have a hard time wanting it. I have a hard time moving towards it. I have a hard time even chasing it. Okay. How do we want it? Look at what what, what Peter says here. In verse 18, verse 21, Peter's going to use very poetic language. He's going to use very symbolic language. Why? Because he's trying to stir the affection. He's trying to stir the emotions for our hearts for this image that he's trying to show us. He wants us to think about these images. He wants us to meditate on these images. He wants us to, to, to realize what our hope should be in. Verse 18. For well, you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. The way that you were free, it wasn't because of what you do, that was, that was made or the, the, the person of, of, of you, it was something else. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. How can you want this holiness? How do you want to be in a place like, God, refine me? How do you put yourself in a position that says, God, yes, refine me, your will be done, not mine. You have to ask yourself the first question, is why do you want to be holy? I want to be holy because I want to change and be a better me, right, be the best version of myself. I want to be holy because I can lift my wounds, get up, and do better, so I know that I can pull myself up and be the person I'm meant to be, be the guy, be the woman I'm called to be. I want to be holy so I can be admired by people. That, yeah, look at that person. They made it. They got out of the rut. That's a good person. I want to be holy because I can do anything if I put my mind to it. Right? Look at how hard they work. Look at their action. Look at their energy. If that's why you want to be holy, Paul, Peter is saying this. You weren't saved right, with perishable things. You weren't redeemed because of silver or gold. You weren't redeemed because of things that pertain to you. That's, what not, that's not what makes you holy. And that should not be the pursuit of your holiness. That shouldn't be the reason why you get up and say, okay, I'm going to be a better me. I'm going to try to be more generous. I'm going to try to um, forgive. I'm going to try to um, love people. If, if, if you engage with that with the mentality and the wanting, that it's, it's so that I can be a better person, so that I can look like a better person, so I can engage, you, you're stepping into it with the wrong attitude. And you're stepping into the wrong world. Peter is saying, There's only one way to get there. There's only one way to move the affection of your heart, to move towards holiness. And that only way is the cross. You have to see the cross for what it is. You have to see the beauty, the wonders of what Christ has done there. The hope that you have is in the cross. Your hope is completely committed to Jesus, not to your money, not to your position, not to your reputation, but that your hope is committed to him. Right? that He sanctified you for Himself. He humbled Himself for you. He broke Himself for you. When you're able to begin to recognize this, then all of a sudden holiness becomes an easy pursuit. becomes a willing pursuit. I think you understand this. I think you understand this reality. Because you, know, you know how I know you understand this reality? That's I think I know you know. Because right? I know you guys watch Korean drama right? How many times when you watch Korean drama and you see the, the guy and the girl, right? And they're just, they're just missing each other, right? Like they, They're not getting it. But you see either the guy or the girl sacrificing for the other person. And you're like, why can't she see it? Why can't he see it, right? You see him doing things in the background or she's doing things in the background for him. And you're like, man, if only she knew. If only he knew, like, he, she would just run towards him, I, I know it. And you're thinking, why can't, she, why can't he just communicate, right? This would saving me eight episodes. If they would just stop and just talk to each other, if they would just talk to each other, this whole thing would be done. But we spent eight hours watching it because we're just watching things unfold. We're watching how he's doing things for her and she's just ignoring him, pretending she's hating him because she misunderstood something about him. Right? She thought he was an evil guy, but he actually is the most sweetest and most awesome guy. And you're out there, and you're just swooning over, like, oh, man, I want a man like that. Like, why can't I have a husband like that? Why can't I have a a wife like that? Why can't I have a girlfriend like that? That's the girl I want. And and you're you're just swooning, and you're feeling, and these emotions are building up. And then you you, you keep watching because you're waiting for what? You're waiting for the revelation. Right? You're waiting for the moment that she gets it. When someone tells her, someone reveals to her everything that he's done in the background. When, when, or, or reveals to him everything she's done in the background and you watch her face change, and you watch his demeanour change and you're like, yes, that's how I've been feeling for the past 8 hours that's it, you know, you did it right? You feel that, right? You understand it? that it builds up? No? Yeah, you're yeah, feeling it, right? you're remembering all your Korean dramas let me tell you something the heavenly hosts of heaven they watch us like a Korean drama right? they're sitting there and they're looking at us and I'm like why can't they just see what he's doing for them in the background? He literally saved them today. And, they, and they're misunderstanding him. They're thinking he's some sort of deviant, evil god that's trying to make their life. He is there. He, is, he broke himself for them. Right? He sacrificed himself. Look at the sacrifices he is doing for them. Look at the road that he is paving for them. Look at how he's preparing their future, their life, without them even knowing it. And you're just going through the motion, thinking like, oh man, God makes me want to do A, B, C, D. He's so evil. Until someone what? Reveals it to you. Until you read the word and it's revealed to you. My God broke himself for me. He did all of that for me. Until you sit down and you begin to meditate and look through your life. And recognize that you got from A to B, not because how great, how awesome, how beautiful you were, how smart you were. You got from A to B because of his grace opening the doors for you. You got through your situation because of what He did for you, protected you, shielded you, watched over you. You made it here, not by the power of your strength, your money, your reputation, or your worth. You got here because if you just sit back and see it, you would know that your God moved mountains so that you would know Him. And there's only two ways when this is revealed. It's partially through the Word, to the teaching today, but fully when Christ has revealed Himself. The day when Christ comes and He reveals Himself to your heart, to your life, you begin to re- realize, oh me, how could I have ignored you for so many years? How could I have not seen all of these moments, these fingerprints of your hand upon my life throughout the decades? How could I have ignored you and misunderstood you and not communicated with you all through these years? Because if I would have known, I would have run. If I would have known, I would have chased for you. If I would have known what you asked me to do, it would have been a joy. It would have been a pleasure. It would have been a wanting. My prayer to you, church, is how do we be refined by fire? It's not me telling you, do A, B, C, D, because that's what holiness or it looks like. Do A, B, C, D, because you have a king who has broken himself, who has humbled himself, who has sanctified himself, who has prepared everything because he loves you. And even today in the background of your life, you have God working in it in so many different ways that you have not seen. And if the host of heaven watches you and say, if they would only open their eyes and recognize that every day they live, every breath they take, every moment they are, it is the grace of God allowing for that to happen. If they would just see it, they would love him. If they would see it, they would fall for him. If they would see it, they would run towards him. And that is my prayer, church. That your Christian life being refined is not a matter of duty, but it's a matter of love. And the only love that you're going to be able to draw from is when you begin to sit down and communicate to the one whom you have misunderstood so much. To talk to the one who has loved you, who has shown that he has loved you. Because he was willing to humble himself, to become a man, to be obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Because why? Because of his love for you. How do you want holiness? You're not going to want holiness by being a better you. You're not going you're not, you're not to want holiness by saying, I just got to do this because that's my responsibility. You're not going to want holiness because you're saying, I'm just trying to make myself, you know, a better person. That's never going to drive you towards holiness. That's going to drive you towards legalism. What's going to drive you towards holiness that my God loves me. He loves me. He moved heaven and earth for me. He shook the foundations of reality for me. He stepped down from divinity into humanity for me. He humbled himself for me. He broke himself for me. My breath that I have at this very moment is because he gave it to me. The shielding of my life, it could have been so much more worse if it was not... Him working in me for me. The Bible says he works out all things, for those, all things for the good of those who love him. All things, meaning the good things and the bad things. God takes the good things in your life and the bad things in your life, and he works it out for the good to those who love him, to those who have called according to his purpose. Love is the motivating factor of holiness. If you're a Christian and you're in this room and you're thinking to yourself that the only reason why PT is telling me to never have sex before marriage, to give my money away, to love people, is because I have to do that as a Christian. You've gotten the wrong picture of Christianity. That is not what our God teaches and that's not what the gospel is about. But if you're in this room and the Holy Spirit of God is stirring in your heart, showing you the affection of your God towards you, Bringing you to the cross where he poured himself out for you. That he broke himself for you. And in return, you're thinking to yourself, what would you have me do? This life is yours. And you're gaining it. To the degree in which you see the love of Christ. And what your sins cost him. This is the degree of holiness that you will pursue. Let's pray. We are going through a series, we're finishing up a series soon, in 1st uh, Peter. The series is called Refined by Fire, Refined by Fire, okay? It's a letter that the Apostle Peter, which is one of the disciples of Jesus, original disciples of Jesus, wrote to the churches during a very difficult time in the church's uh, life. It was a time when the churches were scattered out throughout the Roman Empire. And as they were scattered, the government, the systems, the world around them did not appreciate nor love this group of believers that called themselves Christians. And so in response to not liking them, in response to the way they live and how different they live, the government began to persecute, hurt, and break down, and created laws and created systems that would actually make their lives more miserable. And the temptation for a lot of the believers at this time was to compromise, was to give in, was to assimilate, was to not live out their Christian identity, their identity given to them by God, by Christ on the cross, but to just kind of keep it a secret and live out their life normally to the world around them. And Peter recognized this because truly it is a problem. Christians were being hunted down. They were being, husbands were being sold to slavery. Wives were being sold to slavery. Husbands were being killed. Kids were thrown into uh, coliseums. To be eaten for sport, right? To be killed for sport. And so, in the midst of all of this, Peter writes this letter to the churches telling them there is going to be a time of brokenness and difficulty. It is going to suck and it is going to be hard. But instead of assimilating, instead of giving in, be refined. Be refined towards holiness, is what he's sharing with us. We've been talking about, last week, Pastor David came up and he shared about refined by fire through holiness. It's seeking holiness, right? And I think, I think the same situation can be said to a lot of us as believers now. We live in a culture, in a system, in a world where um, maybe not, quote-unquote, persecuted, but in a place where living out your faith dramatically or outwardly becomes a little bit of a no-no, becomes a little bit of like a pushback from a lot of people around you. And so you'd rather keep it quiet and you rather assimilate. So the letter of Peter is a letter to us, telling us, now is not the season to be quiet. Now is not the season to stay where we are, to assimilate, to, to die off in the background. Now is the season to let God's refinement mold you and shape you into the believer he has called you to be, All right? You've got to be shaped into holiness. Because of what Christ has done, verses 1 all the way to verse 12, right? now be shaped into holiness, to be distinct, unique, sacred, set apart. Be refined into that. Now, the only way, listen, okay, the only way that you would want to seek holiness, want to be distinct like this, is when you recognize your depravity. You recognize how actually broken you are. When you recognize truly the evil that you are capable of. Today in our society, we have a lot of things that holds back our evil. We have our moral conscience, but when that is um, destroyed, we have our family unit. Our family unit holds back our depravity, holds back what we would do if we would not be um, judged or not be caught or not be punished for anything. Our family holds us back. But when the family system is broken, you know, the government system comes in and holds us back. Right? Justice, laws, cops, Those things are there. And when that is broken, if that is broken, the church is there to remind us and to speak to us and to bring us home, to hold back the evil that is really there. And when that is broken, all hell breaks loose. The only way you would want holiness is when you recognize depravity. You recognize how broken you are. And I I know some of you guys are thinking, I'm not that evil, man. I I know that I can think of some crazy, but we're not that evil. Let me tell you the truth. You are evil. Okay, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you a funny story. Right? I swear i was gonna use it for. I, I promise I would use it for an illustration. I'm gonna use it. Right? A couple of weeks ago, I was I was asked to play a game. Right? Um, they're like, you know, would you, it's it's a really fun game. We gather together in this kind of like a room, and you know, it's just like we do like events. Like you know, we we red like green like, know it's kind of like a squid game, but it's called crab game. I'm like, okay, right? I mean. I, I'm not into video games, so I'm like, okay, you know, so they asked the first time, and I just couldn't get it done, or I couldn't uh, rule myself to download all the stuff And then secondly, second time they, they played the game, my son came up to me, and my son said, Dad, can we play? And I said, okay, well, you we have to ask so-and-so to, uh, how to do this And so he did, of course, and he said, I said, do you know how to play? He said, of course I know how to play, he said, okay so. He got someone to message me, right? and, I got the whole message and I have to home message, and I have to figure out how to like, I to download Steam, right, which is a Steam player, and after that I have to download the game, and after I download the game I have to, I, mean, I have to register first. So a lot of different things. It took me about an hour because I'm just slow, right? So finally I'm in the room, so I'm thinking like, I don't know what the game is, I don't know how to play, but I'm just gonna be in there. And I'm in this room, you know, and we all look the same. We're all just like a bunch of people, and then we're in the bunker room where everyone's sleeping, right? And I, and, and, I, and I hear all the voices. It's like, oh, cool, everyone's here, you know? And I can hear, like, so-and-so's voice, so-and-so's voice, so-and-so's voice. I'm like, oh, we're all, we're all in the same room together. And they're like, oh, PT's here, PT's here. I'm like, hey, church, come, right? And I see them all running towards me. I'm like, oh, we group hug or something? And all of a sudden, after, as they ran towards me, I saw monkey bars come out. I saw monkey wrenches. I saw, like, I'm like, what are you guys doing? And boom, 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 all I heard. And then I, I was like, what happened? I can't move anymore. He's like, oh, you're dead? I'm dead. I just barely got in. Yeah. yeah. We were actually playing already? Like, yeah. Right? And I'm like, bro, that's some messed up stuff right there, right? Like, you killed your, you, the first person you decided to kill was your pastor in five minutes, right? Less than five seconds, actually, you know? So I'm thinking to myself, man, if we live in a world where you cannot be punished for a crime, when you cannot be punished for something you do, how depraved will we go? I know know we're just joking, we're playing video games, and it's part of the game, you know, we do that. But think about that. In a video game, you, you do not get punished, and you do not get called out for it. You do not get hurt for it, right? And so you're willing to do a lot of crazy things. But do you recognize, let's be honest, can you recognize that if there were not these levels to hold you back in our world, the level of depravity you would go into would be pretty limitless how evil you can actually be if you know that you can get away with a crime if you know that you'll never be punished for the crime if you know that no matter how bad it was you will be set free how far would you go? right? how far would you go? and I remember a a great example of this was the movie The Purge like all of the series of The Purge I I watched one of it and I couldn't watch the rest right? because the concept of it was just insane. And I was thinking to myself while I was watching, like, whoever came up with this, like, truly understands depravity. Because the idea of the purge, if you ever, ever watched it, was one day a year, no laws, no repercussions, no judgment, no arrest. Do whatever you want. You know? And you see some people kind of, like, kind of hide out. They don't want to do anything. But then you see some really crazy things happening. What they would do, how they would do it, how far they would go. It's insane. And the heart of that is what? If you recognize your depravity, if you recognize how deeply broken you really are and how far you would actually go if you know you can get away with things. That's only then when you would want to pursue holiness. Right? When you really want to see and be cleansed in that. If you, when you recognize that, then you can actually want something that can come and bring healing to that. And that's being refined by holiness. So today I want to share with you what this text tells us about a holy person. What does a holy person look like? To be refined by fire is that in the midst of this world speaking a language and speaking a message to us, how do we live as a holy person? All right? And then lastly, how can we want the holiness? How can we want that holiness so that we can actually get that holiness? Okay? So open your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Peter 1, verse 17 and 21. Let me read this to you guys. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in the reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. He was revealed in these last times for your sake him you believed in god who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in god what does a holy person look like if you're going to live in a world to be refined by god one of the refinement that god is calling you into is holiness to be set apart to be unique to be sacred to be distinct what does a holy person look like last week pastor david talked to us about a holy person his heart and his mind is changed, Holy changed for God. Right? It talks about how you have to reorient your mind and your heart. Today, I want to talk about reorienting your will. A holy, per- a holy person's will is now changed. His or her lifestyle, their behavior is reoriented differently. Your will is change. It's being remolded. What does a holy person look like? You have to look at your will. Is your will being refined by God? Are you allowing your will, your behavior, your lifestyle to be refined by God? To move away from depravity towards holiness. To move away from brokenness towards healing. To move away from um, Destruction towards reconciliation, it requires a reorienting of your will. not just your heart, your mind, but today I want to talk about your will, specifically your will. What does it mean to reorient your will? Look at verse 17, he says this, Since you are called on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your life as strangers, Fear and reverent fear. The word stranger is the word foreigner. It's a person who lives in a country though they are a citizen of another country. They're a foreigner. They're a stranger. Right? Now there are three ways that you can live in a country that's not yours. There's three different ways you can live in there. You can live in this country as an immigrant. An immigrant does what? An immigrant assimilates to the country's rules. Assimilates to this new country's laws. Assimilates to the new country's worldview. Assimilates to their customs. Assimilates to their culture. An immigrant, right, is part of the country. You can live that way. As a foreigner or as a stranger, you can live it as a tourist, right? You can be a foreigner or a stranger as a tourist. You show up to the country, uh, you look at it, but there's really no contact. You just don't, you know, oh, that's kind of cute, that's kind of pretty, but there's no contact, no connection, no investment, no life there. You're just, you're a tourist. You're there to take a couple pictures, and then you're, you're out. You're exclusive. You're just to yourself, right? Or you can look at this country as an exile. We live in this country with the value of our true country. I'm in this country, but the way I live in this country, I live it with the value, the rules, and the heart of my true country. We are not immigrants. Right? We don't assimilate. We don't apply for citizenship here, but we are also not tourists. We are not just mere spectators. You see? When the Bible talks about the word stranger, and when the Bible talks about reorienting your will towards holiness, right, what it's saying is that, that you have to see your life as a foreigner, as a stranger in this land. Sometimes what happens here is that Christians, believers, we, we're, we're believers, but we actually we live in this world as immigrants. Though in our lips we proclaim Christ, our lives our will, our behavior, our lifestyle is assimilated to this country, to this place, to this world. All right? We compromise. We allow for this to infiltrate allow for the, the, the culture of the world to infiltrate our thoughts, our behaviors, our will. But here's the worst part. You hear the worst part? Sometimes as Christians, we do the opposite. We become tourists. We don't want anything to do with the world. We exclude ourselves into our four walls. We create this religiosity where we're spectators to the world, looking at them. But we don't engage, contact, deal with them. We're just safe in our own little space. And the Bible says that's not how you're supposed to live. That's not the life of a son and daughter of the living God. See, God, when Peter is saying, God has called you to be a stranger or foreigner, in the way that, yes, you are here, but you do not assimilate to this place, but you're not a spectator here also. You live here with the value of your true home. You live here with the condition and the heart of your true home or your true country. You are in this place. You're with the people. You're investing. You're building lives. You're building homes. You're working. You have neighbors, but you live with the value of your true country. You follow me? Right? And when you live that, how do you live the value of the true country? How do you reorient your will like this? Okay? How do you move towards this holiness? What does that look like? It means this. A holy person's attitude is neither retreat nor assimilation. A holy person's attitude is neither retreat or assimilation. So you look at a person in church and you say, oh man, that person's so holy. Right? And all they do is just worship God and sing and do Bible stuff, but they have no contact with the world around them. They don't even know their neighbor's name. They have no idea how to interact or engage with their colleagues. Their colleagues don't even want to talk to them. That person is not holy. We call them holy because we think they're you know, all spiritual, but that's not holiness. Holiness is the willingness to not retreat, but at the same time not assimilate. No retreat, no assimilation. You're in this world. You're engaged in this world. You're loving this world, but you're living with the basis and principles, customs, laws of your true country. That's holiness. And what does that look like? How does that look like for us? Marry, have children, but don't kill unwanted babies persecuted by all yet love everyone share your table with everybody but don't share your bed with everybody make though you are poor make others rich though you are short of everything yet you have plenty of all things what does it mean to be refined by fire to your will is now moving towards holiness. Is that you are willing is that you are willing to say, Yes, I am here, but I will not assimilate. I will live with the principle and the value of my true country and I will do as he has called me to do while I'm here. You don't fit in. You stand on like a sore thumb. And yet that is what makes you holy. You're refined by his way. you say what I mean. Marry and have children, but don't kill unwanted babies. You know in the Roman world, the world where Peter grew up, the world where Peter has evolved is evolved in, in the Roman world, if you were a newborn baby, it was considered the woman's property and therefore can be thrown out in the river if there's unwanted. In the Roman world, women were the property of men. Poor were the property of the ruling class. You know what Christians did when we stepped into that world? why we were so hated, why Peter had to write this letter to remind them, embrace the suck, you're going to be hated, but live in holiness, let the word of God refine you, continue, because the Christianity throughout the century, what they did was they enlarged the circle of personhood. They enlarged the circle of life. Christianity has always respected life, has always protected life. Women, slaves, infants, poor, Once were properties or objects, now persons. It was the value of God working through the sons and daughters of God, injecting that into the culture and society that you have now. The very idea that you don't like slavery, that came from Christianity. The very idea where women are no longer objects, that came from Christianity. You know why? Because... We value life. We saw life, whether you are a slave, whether you are a woman, whether you are a child, we saw all life as an image of God. And throughout, throughout the centuries, as we had wisdom and we had strength, we enlarged the circle of personhood. Because in our country, our true country, all life is valuable because all life is made in the image of our king. We're here, but we don't assimilate to the values here. You follow me? In this, let me give you another example. Persecuted by all, yet they love everyone. In our true country, we really forgive. Let me say that again. We really forgive. If, see, today your idea of forgiveness is this: forgiveness means I'm not thinking of them anymore. Forgiveness is I'm keeping them in the back of my mind. Forgiveness is I don't care about them. That's not forgiveness. Right? That's just you pretending that they don't exist anymore. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is a true wanting of healing, a true desire for reconciliation, a true heart moment of bringing people to the table and asking and seeking for forgiveness. In our true country, we really forgive. We know that. Why? Because in our true country, there is no such thing as a lost cause. So no matter how wrong they have wronged us, how much they have wronged us, we seek to forgive. We fight to forgive and to move forward because our country, our God tells us there is no such thing as a lost cause until they have taken their final breath. There is no lost causes. And so we fight for forgiveness. We seek for forgiveness and we find forgiveness. We don't just push it aside. We don't just put it in the back of our mind. We don't just say, hey, yeah, 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 I, I forgive them. I just don't really care. Talk, deal, or you want anything to do with them. That's not forgiveness. It's just letting it go. In our true country, what does it mean to live a life that's holy? What does a holy person look like? They share their table with everybody, but they don't share their beds with everybody. See, in our true country, we understand what sex is built for. We understand the heart of what sex is built for. Sex, it is pleasurable. It is made for that, but it was made for the picture of what? For a committed covenant. It is the restoration of a promise that in, sex, in through the feel of it, through the intimacy of it, through the pleasure of it, that every time you engage in that, you remember the promise that was made at the altar, when you made the promise to each other, to God, and to the family, and to the church. You remember, oh, this is why. This is my love for her. This is my love for him. Sex was built. It was created. It was designed. To have such a way to, to, uh, uh, to renew the covenant and promise. So we share everything on our table. We don't share our beds. Because our culture and our world, this culture, this world, it tells us what sex is for. So it's for pleasure. It's just for release. It's for wanting to be stressed. Sex becomes this kind of an objective thing or a subjective thing where you just kind of engage in it rather than something that's meaningful and intentional. That's meant to renew a promise in a covenant. We understand that. And when we understand that, we, we value what sex looks like. We value how it's engaged. We value when and how to apply it. What does it mean to live a holy life? We are short on everything, yet we have plenty of all things. You know what that means? Simple living. We live our lives simply. The value of our true country, we know that our value, our treasure, our worth, our wealth is God. He is our wealth. He is our treasure. God's people understand that. He is our wealth. He is our treasure. He is ours. He is our value. So if God is our wealth, all of a sudden we have a funny attitude when it comes to our possessions. We don't care for it much. We can, we can give it away. We don't, we don't mind if it's used up no matter the amount, the price, or whatever. It's like we don't care much about them. We are short on everything because why? We're giving it away. You're radically giving. You're radically generous. You don't hold your materials as if it is your worth and your value because our worth and our value is like God. You, you get what I'm saying here, guys? All right? Refined by fire. Refined by fire. It is, this, it is God coming in and shaping you and molding you. And when he shapes you and he molds you, what that means is you have to reorient your will towards him. Because he's shaping you and he's molding you towards holiness. Towards being distinct, unique, sacred, set apart. He's shaping you that. But the, only, the, the, the image, the aftermath of the way a holy person looks is that your will... It's no longer on you, but you ask, King, what is your will for me? And this is where it sucks. And this is where it's hard. And this is where it's difficult. But it is the way of freedom. It's the way of life. It's the way of actually getting you out of this chasing, this whole this, this constant circular pattern you live in. Right? So how can we want this holiness? Because right now, I know what you guys are thinking. You're like, okay, that's cool. I don't don't really want it. Or like, I I don't know how to want it. Like, I I get it. I get what you're saying. You know, if you're a believer, there's a different way of living. There's a different lifestyle we ought to choose. There's a different desire in that. Okay. But here's the thing. I, I have a hard time wanting it. I have a hard time moving towards it. I have a hard time even chasing it. Okay. How do we want it? Look at what what, what Peter says here. In verse 18, verse 21, Peter's going to use very poetic language. He's going to use very symbolic language. Why? Because he's trying to stir the affection. He's trying to stir the emotions for our hearts, for this image that he's trying to show us. He wants us to think about these images. He wants us to meditate on these images. He wants us to, to, to realize what our hope should be in. Verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers. The way that you were free, it wasn't because of what you do that was, that was made or the, the, the person of, of, of you, it was something else. But with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead, glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. How can you want this holiness? How do you want to be in a place like, God refine me? How do you put yourself in a position that says, God, yes, refine me. Your will be done, not mine. You have to ask yourself the first question: Is why do you want to be holy? I want to be holy because I want to change and be a better me, right? i be the best version of myself. I want to be holy because I can lift my wounds, get up, and do better. So I know that I can pull myself up and be the person I'm meant to be. Be the guy, be the woman I'm called to be. I want to be holy so I can be admired by people. That, yeah, hey, look at that person. They made it. They got out of the rut. That's a good person. I want to be holy because I can do anything if I put my mind to it. Right? Look at how hard they work. Look at their action. Look at their energy. If that's why you want to be holy, Paul, Peter is saying this. You weren't saved right, with perishable things. You weren't redeemed because of silver or gold. You weren't redeemed because of things that pertain to you. That's, what not, that's, that's not what makes you holy. And that should not be the pursuit of your holiness. That shouldn't be the reason why you get up and say, okay, I'm going to be a better me. I'm going to try to be more generous. I'm going to try to um, forgive. I'm going to try to um, love people. If, if, if you engage with that with the mentality and the wanting, that it's, it's so that I can be a better person, so that I can look like a better person, so I can engage, you, you're stepping into it with the wrong attitude. And you're stepping into the wrong world. Peter is saying, There's only one way to get there. There's only one way to move the affection of your heart to move towards holiness. And that only way is the cross. You have to see the cross for what it is. You have to see the beauty, the wonders of what Christ has done there. The hope that you have is in the cross. Your hope is completely committed to Jesus. Not to your money, not to your position, not to your reputation, but that your hope is committed to him. That he sanctified you for himself. He humbled himself for you. He broke himself for you. When you're able to begin to recognize this, then all of a sudden holiness becomes an easy pursuit. becomes a willing pursuit. I think you understand this. I think you understand this reality. Because you know know how I know you understand this reality? That's what I think. I know you know. Because I know you guys watch Korean drama. Right? How many times when you watch Korean drama and you see the, the guy and the girl, right? And they're just, they're just missing each other, right? Like they, they're not getting it. But you see either the guy or the girl sacrificing for the other person. And you're like, why can't she see it? Why can't he see it, right? You see him doing things in the background or she's doing things in the background for him. And you're like, man, if only she knew. If only he knew. Like, he, she would just run towards him. I, pro- I know it. And you're thinking, why can't, why can't he just communicate, right? This would save me eight episodes. If they would just stop and just talk to each other, if they would just talk to each other, this whole thing would be done. But we spent eight hours watching it because we're just watching things unfold. We're watching how he's doing things for her and she's just ignoring him, pretending she's hating him because she misunderstood something about him. Right? She thought he was an evil guy, but he actually is the most sweetest and most awesome guy. And you're out there, and you're just swooning over, like, oh, man, I want a man like that. Like, why can't I have a husband like that? Why can't I have a a wife like that? Why can't I have a girlfriend like that? That's the girl I want. And and you're you're just swooning, and you're feeling, and these emotions are building up. And then you you, you keep watching because you're waiting for what? You're waiting for the revelation. Right? You're waiting for the moment that she gets it. When someone tells her, someone reveals to her everything that he's done in the background. When, when, or, or reveals to him everything she's done in the background and you watch her face change and you watch his demeanor change and you're like, yes, that's how I've been feeling for the past eight hours that's it, you know, you did it right, you feel that, right you understand it, that it builds up and up yeah, you're feeling it, right, you, you're remembering all your Korean dramas let me tell you something the heavenly hosts of heaven they watch us like a Korean drama right they're sitting there and they're, they're looking at us and like why can't they just see what he's doing for them in the background? He literally saved them today. And, they, and they're misunderstanding him. They're thinking he's some sort of deviant, evil god that's trying to make their life. He is there. He, is, he broke himself for them. Right? He sacrificed himself. Look at the sacrifices he is doing for them. Look at the road that he is paving for them. Look at how he's preparing their future, their life, without them even knowing it. And you're just going through the motion, thinking like, oh man, God makes me want to do A, B, C, D. He's so evil. Until someone what? Reveals it to you. Until you read the word and it's revealed to you. My God broke himself for me. He did all of that for me. Until you sit down and you begin to meditate and look through your life and recognize that you got from a to b not because how great how awesome how beautiful you were how smart you were you got from a to b because of his grace opening the doors for you you got through your situation because of what he did for you protected you shielded you watched over you you made it here not by the power of your strength your money your reputation or your worth you got here because if you just sit back and see it You would know that your God moved mountains so that you would know him. There's only two ways when this is revealed. It's partially through the word, through the teaching today, but fully when Christ has revealed himself. The day when Christ comes and he reveals himself to your heart, to your life, you begin to realize, oh me. How could I have ignored you for so many years? How could I have not seen all of these moments, these fingerprints of your hand upon my life throughout the decades? How could I have ignored you and misunderstood you and not communicated with you all through these years? Because if I would have known, I would have run. If I would have known, I would have chased for you. If I would have known what you asked me to do, it would have been a joy. It would have been a pleasure. You have been a wanting. My prayer to you, church, is how do we be refined by fire? It's not me telling you, do A, B, C, D, because that's what holiness or it looks like. Do A, B, C, D, because you have a king who has broken himself, who has humbled himself, who has sanctified himself, who has prepared everything because he loves you. And even today, in the background of your life, you have God working in so many different ways that you have not seen. And if the host of heaven watches you and say, if they would only open their eyes and recognize that every day they live, every breath they take, every moment they are, it is the grace of God allowing for that to happen. If they would just see it, they would love him. If they would see it, they would fall for him. If they would see it, they would run towards him. And that is my prayer, church. That your Christian life being refined is not a matter of beauty, but it's a matter of love. And the only love that you're going to be able to draw from is when you begin to sit down and communicate to the one whom you have misunderstood so much. To talk to the one who has loved you, who has shown that he has loved you. Because he was willing to humble himself to become a man. To be obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Because why? Because of his love for you. How do you want holiness? You're not going to want holiness by being a better you. You're not going you're not, you're not to want holiness by saying, I just got to do this because that's my responsibility. You're not going to want holiness because you're saying, I'm just trying to make myself you know, a better person. That's never going to drive you towards holiness. That's going to drive you towards legalism. What's going to drive you towards holiness is that my God loves me. He loves me. He moved heaven and earth for me. He shook the foundations of reality for me. He stepped down from divinity into humanity for me. He humbled himself for me. He broke himself for me. My breath. That I have at this very moment is because He gave it to me. The shielding of my life, it could have been so much more worse if it was not Him working in me for me. The Bible says He works out all things for those, all things for the good of those who love Him. All things, meaning the good things and the bad things. God takes the good things in your life and the bad things in your life and He works it out for the good to those who love them, to those who have called according to his purpose. Love is the motivating factor of holiness. So if you're a Christian and you're in this room and you're thinking to yourself that the only reason why PT is telling me to never have sex before marriage, to give my money away, to love people, is because I have to do that as a Christian. You've gotten the wrong picture of Christianity. That is not what our God preaches, and that's not what the gospel is about. But if you're in this room and the Holy Spirit of God is stirring in your hearts, showing you the affection of your God towards you, bringing you to the cross where he poured himself out for you, that he broke himself for you, and in return you're thinking to yourself, what would you have me do? This life is yours and you're getting it. To the degree in which you see the love of Christ, and what your sins cost him this is the degree of holiness that you will pursue let's pray